So, Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in here. I thank you for this, this Holy Spirit mayhem, but in the best way. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, because we want to hear your words. We want to be changed into the likeness of Christ. We want to be like Jesus. We want to, we want to follow him. We don't want to just do what he said or hear what he said and not do it. We want to be doers of the word and we want to follow Jesus. Lord Jesus, you modeled, you modeled for us life on earth and you also made a way to walk, not just in the earthly realms, but in the spiritual, in the heavenly realms. So Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help me to speak what must be spoken. Help our ears, Lord, to hear what you want to say, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Father, that um, anything that's not of you, Lord, may it just wash off and, and, and go down the drain. And Lord, everything that is of you, may it really take root in our hearts, in the name of Jesus. Because Lord, I thank you that you are training us and you're training us for battle, these hands for war, and these fingers for battle, Lord God. And I pray that we get greater understanding of what that means, here and now and today. Lord God, that we don't just have a theory understanding, but we have a practical understanding so that we can implement it, Lord God, so that it's practical use for day by day and night by night, in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord God, that you are our banner, the Lord is our banner. The Lord is our banner. And Lord, give us greater understanding of what that means. Lord Jesus, here and now I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woohoo! Right, okay. So let's see how I get on. I'm terribly, I, I really struggle with making notes for stuff because I'm a very spontaneous person. Sorry. <laughs> so I'm a very spontaneous person. So um, I, I, I get myself in such a muddle because I have so many things that I think, I think, I'm thinking that the Lord wants to say. And I was like, oh, I've got all this going on. And it feels like I'm getting all the ingredients out for this massive cake. And I just don't know what to put in first. And I don't know what to prioritize. And I just, and then I, I say, then Andy Slow down. Slow down. says, then Andy says, <laughs> And then Andy says, what are you talking about? And then I say, um, and I suddenly feel like a teacher pupil thing come over me. And I feel like I'm sitting at <laughs> or by the headmaster. And I'm trying to relay it to him. And he goes, hmm. And then he starts asking me questions. And then it just helps me to like zone in a little bit. Um, so I was going to say, wish me good luck with that, but that's, that's not appropriate for godly people. To wish luck. We thank the Lord for his blessing, and we thank the Lord for his purposes. So, uh, thank God for God speaking through you. Thank you. I thank the Lord for God speaking through me, and I shall, I shall speak with power and great wisdom. <laughs> Amen. Right. So I want to pop into the book of Exodus, please. If you've got your Bibles... Grab it. And, um, oh, thank you. I do have my own one. <laughs> but thanks anyway. So let's pop to Exodus chapter 17. Because something I've been really, really thinking about a lot over the last few weeks, well, two things. Psalm 144, it says, um, Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. That is one of the things. And the other thing I've been thinking about is the whole issue of when Joshua was fighting the Amalekites in Exodus 17, and uh, Moses went up onto the hilltop. And, and after a victorious battle, um, Moses built the altar, and he said, he called it, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi, or Yahweh Nissi, or Adonai Nissi. But it's all about the Lord is my banner. And I've been thinking, well, are you calling God a piece of fabric? That's not very impressive to me. And I've just been really sort of thinking about these things. And I said, actually, no, the Lord is my banner. So I'm thinking, okay, there's got to be a lot more in this whole thing about banners. Both the physical ones that we like to wave, or, you know, but also what does it represent? So let's just first read the scripture together. Um, so I'm going to read from the New King James in Exodus um, 18 from, um, let me just, it's chapter, uh, verse 8, sorry. Verse 8. Okay. Uh, 17, did I say 18? So sorry. Oh, dear. 
Exodus 17, verse 8 to 16. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, not a book, in the book, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, or Jehovah Nissi. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's quite powerful. Now, most of us know the story, yes? Yes. And um, so there are a few things that I want to just bring out because it's it's pretty cool story. And, you know, if you've got your children, you know, you sort of, you can enact the whole thing. And, like, let's pretend you're the Amal- Amalekites and let's pretend you're the Hebrews. And uh, when I do this, you advance. And when I do this, you don't, you know. And we can play all this. And I could get you out of your seats. But I thought I might get a frown from one or two. No, I'm joking. So, but the thing is, there's, there's a lot more in this story that the Lord really wants us to understand. Because we are fighting battles, yes? I mean, it's, I've really noticed a shift in the kind of battles that have just been hitting individuals the last two weeks. Um, and it's been ongoing. But um, one of the things is that the Amalekites... Um, when, there are two schools of thought. One is that they were named after the grandson of Esau who was called Amalek. And as we know, it says in the word, God says, you know, Esau, uh, Jacob I've loved, but Esau I've hated. There's been something about the, the actions, the attitude of Esau that could have been passed down for Amalek to become so vicious against potentially his own um, extended family. Um, the other thought is that the, it says in the word that the Amalekites were the first among the nations um, so I wonder, actually, if Esau's grandson was called Amalek after an existing nation that were known for their haughtiness, their barbarity, for their ruthlessness. Um, they would inflict, they would hunt down the isolated. They would hunt down those who were on the fringe. They would, they, there was no mercy, but they had no fear of God, no fear of God whatsoever. They were the sort of people that it speaks about later. They, had, they held their fist up to God. It's like, yeah, who are you? You know, I'll do it my way. And actually, if we're totally honest, that is the spirit of this world, I would say. We are surrounded by it. And we're seeing it manifested now in, in a lot of media. We're seeing it manifested through young people in the streets who have not been fathered. They've not been mothered, to be fair. They, um, they've got no fear of God that's taught to them. And it's like, who do you think you are? You know, it reminds me of Psalm 2, um, which we went through the other week, where uh, the whole psalm is about the attitude of, of man to God, saying, who do you think you are? You know, we want to do it our way. I don't want to, have, I don't want to live any, any uh, laws that you, you say, you know, I want to do what I want to do. And it's like this defiance against God. So we have the Amalekites, who are targeting the Hebrews, the Israelites, because let's face it, they've seen... A, a bunch of 2.4 million approximately Israelites coming out of Egypt um, with, with other people as well. It wasn't just Israelites who came out. We forget that. 
um, and they were with a lot of livestock as well. And they watched them, and they watched them come out, and God was fighting their battle. They watched how they came through the Reed Sea, or the Bible calls it the Red Sea, but it's dispute. So come through the Reed Sea through a massive miracle of God, and these people are saying, oh my goodness, this is a force to be reckoned with. And let's wipe them out before they get even stronger. So the Amalekites are also hearing what all the other neighboring nations are saying because they're all full of fear. So on this particular day in, in Exodus 17, we see that the Amalekites, so they represent the spirit of this world and their absolute defiance against God. They also another word that you will find that the Amalekites can mean is doubt. And um, we all know that we have to fight doubt. So we're talking on a single and an individual basis, we've got to fight doubt. On an individual basis, we've got to fight fear of man and the spirit of this world, absolutely. But also corporately, and as the body of Christ, and as the kingdom builders, we really have to be aware and know and recognize the enemy when it's coming at us. Um, and even more so because we are becoming even more a, a, a strength of God to be reckoned with. As we become more humble before the Lord and as we become more Christ-like, the enemy will want to wipe us out even more. You know, he's not afraid of Christians. He's not. The devil is not afraid of Christians. He's afraid of Christians who are utterly yielded to Jesus, who are utterly yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit and who are not in it for themselves they are dead to sin, dead to self, you know, where they really have Galatians 2.20 being crucified with Christ. Those are the Christians that Satan is really scared of. Otherwise, you're not a threat because he's got you eating out of his hand because actually all you want to do is live for yourself anyway, like everybody else. The, the fight is to release self, selfishness, self-awareness, all of this, and become sold out for the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Amen. So what I want to look at as well is the place. The, the place where the battle happens is Rephidim, which means the place of rest, which is interesting, isn't it? Because um, what we're really hearing very much at the moment, you know, Neville Johnson's talks coming out, and it's what the word of God, what the Lord is speaking to his people, is you need to come out of a place of rest. So the fight out of a place of rest. That doesn't mean we're passive and we're sleeping all day. That means that we are consciously um, aware that the battle is going to be won in the heavenlies and that God is strong through us. And it's having an awareness, and, and this is what Paul says, we need to actually really labor to get into rest, which sounds like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? But that we need to make it an absolute priority is what it means that we have faith in the Lord God, that we believe him, that we are standing firm. Ephesians 6, we stand firm. So we come out of a place of rest. So that's where the battle takes place. Now, as we know, Moses says, Joshua, pick out your fighters. Joshua, I'm sure everybody knows this, but just to remind us, the beautiful name related to the name of Jesus himself, it means Yahweh is salvation. God is salvation. So God saves. And uh, so Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men, go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Now previously, this is the first time I would say that uh, from my research that he refers to the rod as the rod of God in my hand. Now when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, and was trying to convince Moses, look, I've got an amazing job for you. You're the man for it. And you're going to go and you're going to speak to the king of Egypt. And you're going to take my people out of bondage and out of slavery. Because I've been hearing their cries. I'm really concerned for my people. And I am obligated, because I made promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I need to keep my promises. And their cries and their calls for help are reminding me that it's now time. Moses, I want you to be the dude to do it. And Moses really freaked out and said, I'm really not capable. I feel really insecure and, and you know, I, I, I don't have a great gifting. I'm not a great orator. And, um, and as we know then, Moses then said, how can my brother help? Or God said, you know, Aaron will come alongside. And God said to Moses, what have you got in your hand? 
and it was the rod, because he was being a shepherd, wasn't he, out on the, uh, the backside of the desert in a place called Horeb, the Mount of Horeb, which is actually part of Mount Sinai. And uh, God said, what have you got in your hand? And it was the rod. And so God said, watch this. And then God performed miracles using that rod there and then. And then as we know, that rod or that staff, we'll call it whatever you want, um, got used throughout the, the, the demonstration of God's miraculous power to Pharaoh to release them from slavery um, eventually. And so including, say, oh, sorry. Ooh. So like the rod, it, it threw it down and it became a snake. And then you remember the magicians threw theirs down, they became snakes, and then his rod, which I will now call the rod of God, ate the other two snakes, didn't he? And then it became a, a rod again. Also, uh, Moses used that rod to, um, to, to curse the river Nile so that everything died in it. He also used that rod to strike the rock when there was no water in the desert. And, you know, just a quick thought, 2.4 plus million people and livestock drinking from a rock. You know, as a child, I always had this image that it would be like this little trickle. And they'd all, like, wait their turn to get a little bit of something to drink. I mean, this must have been a massive, massive oasis that poured out of a rock. It must have been amazing to see. Um, anyway, so back to the rod. Um, so this is called the rod of God. It makes me think of as well, um, in Isaiah 11, verse 1, where it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And I'm just thinking, isn't it interesting how God uses you know, different words to conjure up, and it actually makes you focus on the Lord Jesus himself. Um, that, well, you know, could this rod equally be a representation of, you know, of the Lord, or, or pointing to him at least? Um, but as we know, a rod really signifies um, authority. Uh, here we go, ruling like a scepter. So a rod is like, it's talking about a rod that will, you know, rule, uh, to rule with a rod of iron. Um, and equally, a walking staff, a rod, a staff, even can be a tribe, like a tribe of, um, of the Israelites. So anyway, so the rod has a lot of significance. Um, Aaron went up with Moses. Aaron was a Levite, um, the brother of Moses, so was Moses. Her was from the, li- uh, from the lion, from the tribe of Judah. I always want to say from the lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, and went up with Moses on the top of the hill. So I find it very interesting because in the years gone by, um, when I've thought about this story, I've visualized, and we've seen these old sort of movies, and Moses is sort of standing there like this. And, um, and while his hands are raised, the the people of Israel are winning, and then like, oh, God, tired. You know, and then the Amalekites are winning. Or we might have seen pictures where he's holding, I do need a rod. Um, <laughs> pretend this is a rod. Or he's holding it up like that. We've seen pictures like that, haven't we? Have you got a rod? Oh, could you? Thank you so much. So at this point, I could do with three volunteers. Hands up to volunteer. Richard, Nigel and Barry, thank you so much. Come forward. Thank you. Have you found it? Thank you so much. So I just think this is a, it's worth a moment to visualize this because when we visualize things, it's easier to remember. And, um, and God speaks to us so much with, with you know, pictures. One's good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Caroline. Right. So, Richard is going to be Moses, okay? I've got the bit of <laughs> and, um, and can you be Aaron? And that means you, her. Ben-Hur. Not oh. Ben-Hur, her. We don't have any chariots right now. So, what I'd like you to show us is that Moses would have held the rod of God high, like a banner, okay? Like a banner. Wait, first. And the... Israelites are winning. Everyone clap. Yay! Yay! Woo! Right, you're getting a bit tired now, and you're having a little natter with uh, her over here, and then you're putting your, your hands on and go, and we go, boo, boo, boo! Yeah, let's <laughs> Get it back up! Get it. <laughs> Yay! Yay! And then, uh, and, then the, and then the light switch goes on. The light switch goes on with Aaron and her and go, oh, go on. Ah, ah. 
we have noticed a connection here. So Aaron goes and gets a, a chair that is actually a rock. Yeah, Could yeah. you get one? Yeah. No, it's all right. He's, he's, help, he's doing it. Yes, thank you for all your help. This is a rock. Praise be to the Lord my rock. Praise be to the Lord my rock. Who trains my hands for war and my fingers for... I know, it takes getting used to, doesn't it? Right, so Aaron and her saying, come, sit on the rock. (laughs) So now he's a little bit more comfortable. But what's interesting is, why couldn't he just have it there? That would be quite easy, wouldn't it? Oh, sorry. It'd be quite easy. But it actually specifies that Aaron and her lifted up his hands. It says hands. So let's be practical about this. Okay, hold it like that. Now, would you be going like this? That's a bit awkward, isn't it? Mm. How about you actually, each of you take an elbow. So you're you're supporting the weight there. And you're supporting his elbows there. And we've got the banner high. We've got the banner high. Now just get a picture of this in your head. So we've said that the rock is another name for the Lord God himself. Praise be to the Lord, my rock. It's mentioned numerous times. David refers to the rock many, many times as a name for God. Um, Also, tell me when you get tired. You've got a few more hours yet to go. It won't take long. Well, he held this posture until sunset. Literally. So, no, you don't have to hold it forever. But this is, the, this is the sort of visual I want you to get in your head. It wasn't this thing like that. I mean, would this be awe-inspiring to the enemy? No. Spiritual enemy, even. There was, there, he had to have it raised high. There was something about this. There, it was a banner. It was a, it was a pole. It was a sign. What else do you see? What picture does this stir up? Jesus, the cross. It does. Exactly. There was that story as well. Thank you for mentioning that. And the enemy would fear because they'd be looking at him. And, you know, if they were losing because his arms yeah. raised, you know, they, and, and if he came down they were they were winning, that would like, yeah. put fear in the enemy. Yeah, that's right. So that's absolutely. So we've got here the woods raised up high, just like Jesus was on the cross. The, Jesus was lifted up high and he was created, you know, it was, like, it was like this banner image equally that he died for us. But also through that was the greatest victory. The victory is the cross. The cross is the victory. It's through the cross that we have victory. It's because of the cross we got victory. So, okay, you can put it down now. Thank you so much. And that's another thing that Ginny just mentioned, which I I did have in my mind to share too, so thank you, is that earlier on, was it earlier on or was it later on? Later. Later, thank you. Um, That's right. When um, there was great sickness that broke out in in the Israelite camp, and... God said to Moses, make a bronze, fiery-looking serpent and lift it up on a pole. And everyone who looks at that snake uh, and that pole will be healed. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because also as a child, I always thought, well, why wouldn't God put something nice there? You know, why is it a snake? But of course, what he's talking about is that Jesus took on our curses and our sickness and he became everything that we deserved. And he gave us healing. So as we look to Jesus, as we look at the one that was cursed, as we look at the one who took every beating for us, you know, and and has given us wholeness, salvation, complete body, mind, and spirit, that we equally can be healed. And this is the cry. This is the cry for Laurie. These are for, for the ones that we don't, who don't know Jesus. May they look upon the one that was pierced. And equally like, you know, like the Jewish people, it will come, there will come a day when they will see the one who was pierced and they will recognize him. And he's coming and it's going to be amazingly beautiful. Oh. So, um, so let's see that we got the aspect of Aaron and, and her working, working with Moses. They were working together for one cause, for the kingdom's cause. Can you imagine if, if one said, I want to have a go to hold up the rod? 
no, honestly, the anointing right now, this is what God told me to do. But I, I want to do it. I think you're just in it for yourself. I think, oh, what about me? You know, and you can imagine that sort of, may not have said it, but you can imagine the thought processes that mankind confronts on a daily basis until we truly are crucified with Christ. It's not about our personal thing. And it is it. It's about God's plan. This is his fight. God showed Moses how to do it. And Moses held up the rod and did it. So we've got to be working together in humility for the greater cause. You know, I used to work in marketing and I used to work on organizing exhibitions and events for all sorts of, you know, companies and businesses. And, um, and it was really fun, but also really hectic and hard work. And, you know, sometimes you are running on adrenaline. And one of the things that really got to me was, as a team, we would be planning and then somebody would get a hump about something within my team, you know. And at the time, I wasn't the leader of the team. I was just working with. And, um, and, And even the leader of the team would get a hump about something. And I was thinking, come on, it's about the, it's about the project. Let's work together. It doesn't matter about, oh, it's not my way. Let's just do it. You know, let's make sure we get the project done. And let's get it on budget and let's get it on time and make sure the client's really happy. Job done. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, this is the same sort of attitude that God wants us to have. It's the greater cause. It's, it's for his purposes. We've all got different giftings and they will come into play. But let's not be ever about, I want to show my gifting. I remember Howard Morgan when he came around the other day. It was so funny. And he was saying how sometimes, you know, in, in the body of Christ, you know, we've got people of all different backgrounds. Um, some are brand new Christians. Others have been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and that does not necessarily mean that they are more mature, by the way, than those. You know, doesn't, you can have a very mature brand new Christian. It can happen. And you can have a very immature, um, you know, 40, 50 year old uh, in, the, in the Lord Christian. So it's not about, it's not about that. But he said it's like sometimes, you know, and they've got a gifting, so it's a bit like, and there were some olives on the, on the table. So he's like, said, it's like, this is, you know, it's pretending that the, the little bowl of olives is the gifting. It's like, I've got olives. I've got olives. Do you want my olives? They're my olives. And it's this whole sort of attitude, which just made me smile a bit, because sometimes it can be like that. I'm not saying for one minute any of you here have that issue, but it's something to be guarded of, because this is another place the Amalekites can come in and just try and turn your heart away from God and away from one another into a haughty attitude, into a prideful attitude, and can come along and try and take your focus on what you're meant to be doing. And thank the Lord that Moses listened to God and did what he was talking, uh, what the Lord said. So, and also thank the Lord for her and Aaron that went along. Um, so it's being about one cause for his cause, and it's being about the Father's business. We say this all the time. We can't say it enough. It's about the Lord's purposes. You know, so when Jesus was in, um, a, you know, a little boy growing up, and he was 12, wasn't he? And he was left in the temple, and three days later, mum and dad eventually found him. Say, what do you think you're doing? We've been worried senseless for you. And he says, well, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And equally, it's always been about his father's concerns, his father's issues, his father's everything. And equally in John 5, 19, another verse we frequently quote here is, you know, when Jesus says, I can only do what I see my father doing. And I can speak what I hear my father saying. And this is more and more what we are growing into and we will grow into. And uh, with the grace of God, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, we shall. But the Amalekites the spirit of this world has got other plans for us, but they shall not prosper. Amen. It's his fight. It's his strategy that we need. And when it's his fight, it'll be his victory, not ours. And this all has to come from a place of rest in Rephidim. So positioned on the hilltop, just like Ephesians 2 verse 6, it says that we've been raised up together and made to sit together with Christ in heavenly places. 
So again, on the hilltop, it speaks to me of, of coming from a place of intercession and confidence in the Lord and being led by the Lord in, in worship and in praise and declaring the nature of God. To me, when you say the Lord is my banner, it's also about the nature of the Lord. Who is the Lord? He is strong and mighty. Who is the Lord? He's full of love. He is merciful. His mercies are new every morning. His, and, and yet he judges wickedness. Hallelujah. I love that. And it's so when you're lifting up, uh, saying the Lord is my banner, it's also about declaring the nature, the character of God, which is what it's all about for us to become in the nature and character of Christ as well. So I also see Moses, Aaron and her being in a place of intercession. It's like they're, they're together in it. There's physical contact as well. And I don't know about you, but there's something about when we pray together, and even if we're a little bit closer you know, when there's physical closeness, I'm not talking like this, but you know, that there's a power in that, there's a synergy in that. And, and equally, you know, I, I love it also when we worship and sometimes we don't have the instruments and it's just the voices and there's a synergy in that, there's a power in that that gets released. And, um, and this is, a, you know, this is great. It's just working with, with what God's showing us at the time. And equally not getting into traditions and not getting into, oh, this is how it worked last time, so let's always do it that way. We need to be led by the Lord. Every fight has an individual strategy. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, so what the sort of battles we have to face, everybody's got different ones, but they will, in principle, be the same. Now, the enemy knows your family background better than I know your family background. He knows... What worked on your mother or on your father to wind them up? He knew what worked to blind them from the truth. And he knows what so-and-so said to you when you were a child that will have a bit of a trigger effect. So the enemy knows the little things to pull and, you know, a bit like a, a lift button. Oh, let's, let's send them down a bit. Short. Yeah, hit the under. You three, down. And he'll know what to do. So he's got the buttons. Now... When we come to Christ, we want to get those buttons removed. We don't want to have any buttons or any triggers because we want to truly be led by the Holy Spirit. So our prayer, Lord, 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 I want to be set free from the ability to be offended. No offense. We should be the most unoffendable people on the planet Earth. Seriously. And this is a great thing. You know, we need to keep our eyes on, on the bar that the Lord has set because sometimes we start, we can so easily um, lose slight direction. And before you know it, we think it's okay to lick your wounds a bit. And like, oh, poor you. Oh, poor me. You know, a bit of self-pity comes in. <gasps> self-pity is an absolutely gross, humongous, disgusting, hairy demon. That when we let that thing in, and we'll think, oh, but I deserve it. Uh, the hair of that hairy demon feels so comforting. <laughs> the self-pity. Self-pity is what I deserve. You do. And the self-pity saying, you do. Oh, they've really been unkind to you this time. This time you... Don't worry. Just have another bar of chocolate. You'll feel a lot better. <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. But there are different ways that it can manifest. And genuinely, genuinely, I mean, there's a, there's a song that I listen to. And she was, she's a Christian lady. And her song's brilliant. And, and in, the, in the words she's singing, there was a time when the wrong words would hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm saying it my way. And she said, and I'd put on 50 pounds in weight, in other words, because she would like hit the, the biscuit tin, you know. And uh, different people have got different ways of dealing with hurt and all the rest of it. And, and there's something about, you know, when we feel vulnerable or we feel hurt, that we want to comfort ourselves. So when, you know, the self-comfort mechanisms, you can say, oh, but it doesn't hurt anybody else. But actually, stop. We are no longer our own. We've been bought for a very high price, at a high price. The blood of Jesus has purchased me and has purchased you. So you either belong to the Lord Jesus or you don't. And if you don't, you are an enemy of God. So you're either with him or you're against him. So, you know, I'm preaching it myself. So when, you know, it's for all of us, this is, these are the things that the Holy Spirit wants to pull out, is that we do not look, belong to ourselves anymore. This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I better start doing some more exercise. 
<laughs> Avoid eye contact with husband. And I better, you know, and, and look after my body. Because it's actually not mine. I need to steward this body because it doesn't belong to me. And I better dress nicely. That reminds me of what you shared earlier. It's lovely. But dress nicely. And, and you know, because... The body is not mine to express I feel grumpy and rubbish today. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, no, actually, I want this body to be a reflection of God's love and kindness and individuality as he's made us. But it's not to campaign and make an expression that I'm going to go gothic because I want everybody to know I'm different. You know what I mean? And, and let's face it, you know, oh, we can see all sorts. It's to love and accept one another. Let's not put any labels on one another. But remember, your body does not belong to you. So no more binging. No more feeling sorry for yourself. No more whatever. You get the message. So what's also interesting is it says very clearly, if you look up, I love the the website, just a tip for you, Blue Letter Bible. Yay. It's a website free to use and you can look on, you can type in any sort of Bible verse or whatever in any version of the Bible you want. And you can also look at interlinear concordance and it gives you the original Hebrew or the original Greek and it shows you the meanings in the strongest concordance. So you can do it all from the comfort of one computer if you want to. And it says in Exodus 17 verse 12 about Moses, after he'd held the rod of the Lord up, after he'd lifted up the name of Jesus, lifted up the character of Jesus, lifted up the sacrifice of Jesus, lifted up the cross, as it were, um, it says, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. I, I think so. And the word steady is actually emuna, which is Hebrew meaning faith. It means faith. So actually, and his hands, which should really say, were steady faith until the going down of the sun. And as we know, it then says that Joshua overcame Amalek and his people. Now it says in the New King James, with the edge of the sword. Now actually, the real word is not the edge of the sword. It says with the mouth of the sword. The word is peh, P-E-H. And isn't that interesting? Ian earlier gave a word. And he was talking about the sword of the mouth and the mouth of the sword. And we know that in Ephesians 6, in the armor of the Lord, that there are, um, one of them is the sword of the spirit, which is a spoken rhema word. Not the like, oh, quickly, read it quickly. Let's just read quickly. The Lord says, you're my light and my salvation. Therefore, okay, okay. No, that's coming from fear. Actually, what you're doing, you're admitting in the spirit realm, I'm so scared and I'm just trying to hold on to something. No, you get into that place of faith. And it's not a tool that we get out of our belts. Faith is an attitude and a perspective that God is who he says he is and that he will look after me regardless of what, even when I go through trials and tribulations, which I shall, everybody is, guaranteed it, no question. When I go through them, I will have an attitude and a perspective of faith that God is for me, not against me. And that I am his, regardless. My body does not belong to me anymore. It's his. So it's his job to keep it well, as long as I steward it well as well. Personal responsibility, of course, to steward it. But the Lord also, if there's something that needs like a new knee in Jesus' name that we get, the, uh, the Lord sends in his angels, you know, his like plasterers, his um, builders, just to release healing in the name of Jesus. Because this body belongs to God. And every room is going to be taken for the Lord himself. This house, this, 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 it's like a temple, isn't it? This is a house built for God, and every room should be taken. So Moses' hands were faith until the going down of the sun. And, jo- uh, and Joshua overcame Amalek and his people with the edge mouth of the sword. With the mouth of the sword. So we're talking again about the rhema word of God, the now word of God. So we need to be in the spirit realm. We need to be aware of what God's saying to have a rhema word. But, you know, God is so gracious. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I've got to do this in order to do that. And la, 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 la. And actually, what we need to do is come back to the Rephidim, come to a place of rest and realize that actually it's the Lord who has enabled me to see the truth as it is. Without the Holy Spirit, I couldn't even say that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe it. 
Holy Spirit has done all the work. All we need to do is yield ourselves and be his work in progress. Be that house that he is building and perfecting. Because it says in the word that you are his workmanship. Workmanship. That is not just like, oh, quick fix shed in the back garden. We are talking about a piece of art. A piece of art that deserves to be in the most glorious gallery seen by royalty. Individually, we are a great workmanship, a piece of art created for good works in Christ before the foundations of the world. So the Lord has prepared works for you. He's prepared works for me. And it speaks in Revelation how um, the bride puts on the clothes, which is the works of the saints. And it's, it's like clothes can also represent the, the plans, the works that God has planned for us to do. So as you making your new dress, Jane, it can also be representative of, of, of acts of whatever the Lord has planned for you specifically. So as we know, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I think what we can see, if we were to take the Joshua and Amalekites battle, the Exodus 17 battle, into New Testament times, we could say, or or, or to get the the biblical description of what's happened, one of them is Ephesians 2, verse 8, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, isn't it interesting how Moses got, uh, sorry, God told Moses to write down in the book that God will wipe out the Amalekites from memory from under heaven. And there was, if you forward wind some years, there was an opportunity when Saul, King Saul, could have and should have wiped out the Amalekites. But he had a greater fear of man than he did of God. And he decided to let King Agag live. And as we know, and he kept lots of the livestock and people alive. And then Samuel said, what is that bellowing or that mooing or that bleating I hear? And he said, oh, yeah, I just thought, you know, you know, why not? And, Sam, and that was the end of Saul's ministry, as it were. That was the end of his anointing. That was the end. And Samuel finished off the job. And um, so, but the Amalekites... Think about it spiritually as well as physically. I would say the Amalekites are those completely opposed to God and also opposed to what God has planned and and decreed for the Jewish people, for the Israelite people. So every spot of anti-Semitism, I'm not saying that person is an Amalekite, but the spirit of of Amalek is within them. And um, in fact, wasn't it... um, you know, with Queen Esther, what was his name? The, Haman. Haman, wasn't he an Amalekite? I'm sure. Yeah, you're saying yes. Do your homework, make sure I'm not saying something wrong. So anyway, so Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi. So what about us now? So we must be about lifting up the cross of Jesus. And you know what? Whilst we get... Uh, into all the whole issues of the spirit realm and the return of the king and angel visitations and being supernaturally transported, we must not lose sight that everything is anchored back at the cross of Jesus, what he has done, who he is. And the rock. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes back down. We've got to stay anchored truly in the word of God. You know, we mustn't get into extracurricular stuff and, and leave behind the main thing. We've got to, as Neville says, keep the main thing the main thing. And yet, we have been set free to pursue and to walk into all the fullness that God has for us. So the cross is like a doorway, but we should never despise that. And we should never be ashamed to preach it. We should never, ever be ashamed of the gospel. As we know, it's the power of God to save. And first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And Andy uh, watched a bit of a Billy Graham thing yesterday. And he mentioned how... Um, sorry? A lot. A lot. Okay, it's while I was out walking in the mud and the mist. That's great. You and Joshua watched it, didn't you? And, um, and do you want to just say it? Just want to mention what you saw? It's next to you. Yeah. It's always better from the mouth of um, the horse's mouth. As, as Joshua and I were sorry. watching what Billy Graham was saying, um, 
It, it was incredible. I mean, I, I, whoops, I was in absolute tears. Tears were just running through because he was preaching the gospel. He was preaching the truth. And uh, there was one time where he was on the stage and he was preaching away. And, you know, he's got, he had such an anointing, that man. And uh, nothing, when he gave out, you know, the, the, the invite to come up forward, hardly anybody came forward. Hardly anybody came forward. And he was going, what is happening? And, and he came, as he was coming off the platform, his really good German friend was beside him. And uh, he said, Billy, the reason why nobody came forward, or very few came forward, is you didn't preach the cross. You didn't preach the blood. You know, but, you know, from that minute on, Billy Graham preached the blood. He preached the cross. And uh, I, I, I don't see us in churches as we've watered down the cross. We've watered it down to be almost like, oh, it's just an add-on. Um, and we've got to be lifting up the cross, you know, holding up with steady hands that, that the Lord is, is, is arming our arm for war you know, and our fingers for battle. But then as it went on, I felt a wind come in the room, a stirring come in the room. And even Joshua said, Daddy, it's got a bit cold in here. And this wind was, was blowing in. And I said, Lord, you know, what is this? He says, I am about to release the mantle of Billy Graham onto a body. And I just turned around to Joshua and I said, Joshua, wouldn't it be great, you know, if we just did this, you and me, you know, to start preaching the gospel, lifting up the cross. And he goes, yes, Daddy, I want to do that. I want to do that. I said, well, let's pray because just at that minute, um, the guy, um, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, went to Billy Graham and says, Dad, you know, how do you learn how to preach the gospel like you do? And Billy Graham just turned around and he said, Son, just preach. And then preach again. And preach again. And preach again. And you will learn. The Spirit will lead you. Yeah. So that's what Joshua and I prayed. He said, Holy Spirit, give us every opportunity to preach the gospel. Amen. To lift up Jesus. To just preach it and preach it and preach us. Amen. So I'm going to pray that over you today. Good. Do it. So I think that's really important, thank you, because also I, heard, I read a vision this week that somebody had, um, somebody I esteem, and I've just forgotten his name. Anyway, and, and you know how it says in Matthew 7, verse 23, when people will come to, the, to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, you know, I did this in your name, I did that in your name, you know, I did such and such, I did such and such in your name. And then the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. And we know from this that it's not about just doing stuff. It's about knowing the Lord Jesus, having that personal love relationship and being led, you know, as it says, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So it's really important that we really are led by the Spirit in this. But so in this vision, um, this person saw um, behind, he had a vision of hell. And he saw these people who had been denied access to heaven because all they were doing was doing, doing, doing. And they didn't know Jesus. And they, they had pride in it. You know, they had pride in what they were doing. It's like, and let's face it, there's something in us that wants to be doing stuff because there's an element in us that wants to actually say, God, I am worthy. I'm doing a good job, aren't I? Can I have a bit of a commendation? Can you, can you give me a bit of an extra bit of like attention because I'm doing this and I'm doing that for you? And, and it, we've got it wrong way around, haven't we? Instead of do, we need to be the be, and out of the be, being with the Lord, being his, being his favorite, I'm his favorite. Out of being and knowing that we're his favorite, the doing, the actions come, isn't it? So anyway, so he had this vision of, of hell, and he saw these people, and behind the people who'd been preaching... Uh, or doing stuff in my name, he saw a whole line of other people behind them. And he said, like, Lord, what is this? And these were the people who had received healings, had received miracles, but had not been told the truth. They hadn't been tr told the truth of the cross, of the blood, of repentance. Ouch! Yeah. Why do we sh shrink back from repentance? We mustn't. We have lost it if we don't preach repentance anymore. Repentance is not just wishing or just feeling a bit sorry. It's turning around. It's a complete turning around. And, and we need to repent for not preaching repentance as, a, as the UK church, I would say. 
There are so many places it's become really popular since the signs and wonders came out. It's become popular to heal. And absolutely, we should be healing the sick. Jesus did it all the time and setting people free from the demonic realm. Raising the dead, casting out demons, all of that. Cleansing the leper. But we can't say, oh, I like this part and I'm going to give people this part but I'm not going to tell them about repentance and the blood because it's a little bit embarrassing because they're, you know, I might offend them. And this is a real problem. This is, we've got to nail this. Whoops. We've got to nail this and we've got to walk in it. And, and like Andy said, we need to start speaking the truth. And I had a nasty oh, eye opener yesterday as I was preparing. I know this in principle, but when you see it in black and white in your Bible, um, it hits you in a different way. Ezekiel 3, verse 18. And it says, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Oh my goodness. We have to really speak the truth. I was saying to somebody, how would you feel if you knew that your, um, you know, say your 15-year-old child was going to take A-levels in three years, but you didn't want to disturb them, you didn't want to upset them, so you just didn't tell them. And then in three years' time, they're going to suddenly find themselves doing a maths A-level, and then think, I didn't know I was going to do this. There's no way I can pass this. I mean, that's just a a small, crazy illustration. And yet we're talking about everybody will stand before the Lord God. He's he's the judge and he's our saviour. He's just as effective as being our judge as he is at being our saviour. Just as passionate and just as effective. And we need to warn people. But this is how we need the leading of the Holy Spirit. How and when. And what surrounds it, because, you know, we need that, but we need to be speaking the truth, because it will be on our heads as leaders as well. Oh, my goodness. Um, So I'm going to skip forward, because I've been using lots of your time. Um, But um, one of the main things that I did want to just bring out was the whole issue of the banner, okay? So the Lord is my banner. So this was like one of the names of God that was given to him, and that the Lord has said, that he is our banner. And it speaks about in the Song of Solomon, depending on which uh, version you read. And it says, it talks about the beloved. It's the woman, isn't it? I always get this mixed up. Lover and beloved. Um, that she is as, one of the terms of endearment, which is bizarre, is that she's as terrifying as a great army with banners. I don't think that is so... I love that because it just blows your sort of expectations of romance out of the water. Why, you are terrifying. In other words, there's great beauty and, I mean, let's face it, if I saw an ISIS flag coming, I wouldn't feel chuffed. I would not feel relieved, peaceful, feeling like, yay, great, come on in. I would have a different reaction as you would and and the people in the world who have seen it. Horrendous. But if we see the banner of the Lord's great army coming... Wouldn't we go, oh my word, oh my word, this is what we've been talking about. Richard, Andy, Caroline, Camilla, this is what we've been talking about for years. Oh my goodness, oh my word, it's coming, God's coming, God's coming. It's like, oh my word. And it's like, just imagine the, the power and the beauty of the military force. So just imagine you've got a... Um, You've got a bunch of soldiers who've been cut off from supplies, and they've been running low, they, they've got no more um, ammunition, their food's getting short, water's coming short, and then they see reinforcements coming with their banner, and they know it's the same side, it's not the enemy. Oh my word, when you have passion and relief and joy... And we need to st- change our picture. I can't speak for you, but I do. I need to change my imagery and my imagination about what it means that the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. That means I'm getting behind his fight, not my personal little things, because actually I've died to all of that. So I, I'm standing for him. I, I'm rallying to his troops. I'm under his command. He is the commander of the Lord's army, and he has the banner, and it's his nature, his character. And the more we study the nature of God, the more we will love him. 
please, we all need to study more and learn from reading the word and then experiencing that and realizing the nature of God is beautiful. He is altogether lovely. He is altogether beautiful. And he's powerful. And I love him. So let's study that. And um, Isaiah 59, 19, it says, When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. So we see various different verses where banners and standards and poles represent a a move of God. It represents the enforcements of angelic hosts coming away. Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 5, we know it well. Arise and shine, your light has come. And it's, you know, as we know the scripture really, really well, it says that that kings and and etc. will come to the brightness of your shining. So how will they know to come to you? And it reminds me, of course, okay, Andy's been preaching this for years, about your light that will be shining. Your light will be shining strong, and people will see that. It is a banner. It is a strong standard of the Lord that will shine out from us. But equally, um, when it says um, in Psalm 60, verse 4, But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. I'm seeing the banner like a weapon in itself, you know. I'm seeing the banner in itself as a weapon. So I think, yeah, you all knew that, okay. So we need, to, we need to actually think, okay, you know what? Let's consider what is the Lord saying over my life right now because I need to really be in line with God's heart and God's purposes about such and such a situation or whatever because I need God's wisdom in this. And I want to know, Lord, what are you saying over me today and over me in this season? Because we can have different sort of messages, a rhema word of God for a different season. Because the banner of the Lord is a weapon in itself. I love that. And as, we, um, as I close, um, I just wanted to mention a short story about, as we read you know, in, in Isaiah 60, about the light that's going to shine. And Andy's been speaking a lot about the tabernacle of David, which I want to get into loads more because I think it's amazingly fascinating, incredibly exciting. Um, this light that's going to shine, you know, in the tabernacle of David, the light will shine out and people will see it from far and wide. And, um, you know, I want people to know that I'm a lover of Jesus without me having to open my mouth or what, without me having to pick out a Bible or pray for them or something like that. And I just heard a beautiful testimony this week from Dan Mola. Every now and then I come back to listen to Dan Mola. I recommend you do too. Because, you know what, my prayer is, Lord, where I need course correction, I need, please, I want course correction. So easy to go off a degree and slightly miss the focus. Before you know it, you're back into a spot of self. You're back, it, back into a little bit of that kind of thinking. And it's really, Dan Mola nails it, nails it, nails it. Becoming love. And how? the daily tiny practical things and it's the mindsets and the thought processes that we've got to recognize and adapt to God's way because Dan Mola to me really is a beautiful Christ-like person so he got on an airplane and he was just putting his uh, luggage in the top locker and he was just sitting down and this sweet little Mexican lady says to him um excuse me sir um are you are you a Christian? And, um, and he hadn't said anything, shown anything that would make anybody think that. Mexican. Or, I try to, I try, no, I do it now, it becomes more Italiano. I'm not very good at the Mexican. Anyway, so, um, excuse me, are you a Christian? And, um, and he says, well, yes, I, I am. How do you know? I'm just reading because I don't. I'm really bad at telling jokes. This is not a joke, but I fluff things up. I fluff things up. I'm, I'm rubbish with punchlines, so I'm reading it. So he says, "Yes, I am." How, how did you know? Because I see him in your face, and it's the way she said it. And the next thing, they're fellowshipping, praying, crying. You know, one of her friends comes from a different row, and they all rejiggle and they just sit together. And great encouragement. And, I mean, Dan Bowler lives this. You know, Ginny shares stories about great, wonderful things happen when you just make yourself available to the Lord. 
And I know, and I admire you for doing that. And I, I want to get into that as well and find that hour, right? I'm going to just push out from this shore. But you know, he, Dan Mola, just as he goes, and this is what we've always said, as you go, as you go, you know, preach the good news, heal the sick, and raise the lepers. Uh, I've got them mixed up. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, so I just found that really encouraging, raise the lepers. May the lepers be raised, may the dead be cleansed. <laughs> so this light, that is, this light will be seen from far and wide. And did you know in David's tabernacle he had 4,000 musicians and 288 singers. And if you divide 288 by 12, you get 24. Isn't it our mathematician in the back, Sir Blundell? Yes, it is. 12 times 24... Well, 12 twelves are 144 times 2, 288. So we're looking at this continual worship and prayer and intercession that is in line with the Father's will, going up continually, night and day. That's why we sing. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. La, 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 la. <laughs> That's good. So I'm going to close uh, that we really need to be aware that the Lord is our banner, that the cross is still incredibly powerful in this age, as it has always been, it will forever be powerful, that we lift up the name of Jesus, we lift up the character of Jesus, we become Christ-like is our goal. The reason we meet on Sundays is not to just have a coffee together and to feel better, although that's nice and that's good, but it's to become Christ-like, more Christ-like than when we first came. And through true, honest, open fellowship, you know, we, we sometimes like rub off the little edges, don't we? And let's be open for it. Let's be ready to have our little edges rubbed off and our old ways of thinking changed so that we truly do have the mind of Christ. Amen. Amen.